by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Faith makes folks strong, makes them confident and brave. Say faith does that. Faith turns fear into courage. It turns worry into prayer. Faith will relieve your stress. And we're living in a stressed out society today. You can tell those who are walking by faith. Say faith does that. Faith Faith bypasses the mind and it brings peace straight to your heart. Where you need it. You know, too many of us are up here. But faith takes place down here. Faith takes our mistakes and turns them into opportunities for growth. So we fail forward, don't we? When we make mistakes, we just get back up, get back into the game. On the faith journey, that's where we learn the character of God. You hear all these people talking bad about God? That's because they don't have any faith. They don't know him. They haven't walked with him. They They don't know about his character. They're just saying something somebody else told them. But we're learning the character of the living God when we walk by faith. We fail forward and we run to Jesus instead of running away. You know, you've you've seen that happen all around you, people. They start strong, but then they, they have a moral failure. And then they feel like they failed God and they quit the faith. But if you'll stick around long enough to learn a little bit about his character, you'll see that his mercy is new every morning. Faith people learn to choose holiness over the pool of the flesh so that they can learn to live their best lives now. You'll never get to who you're supposed to be just listening to the flesh, will you? Faith folks become steadfast and tethered to things eternal. We got our eyes on the prize. And so we're not moved by the earthly situations. We don't walk by sight, but we walk by faith. We focus on God instead of circumstances. Faith is the foundation of our salvation, and faith is how we're made right with God. Thank goodness, because none of us have deserved it, right? Faith is a steady compass in our lives, and it points others to Jesus. When you got your eyes on Jesus, other people are going to say, I want to go down that path with them. I I don't know what they're doing, but it's working. How do I find this Jesus? By faith, we allow God to paint a new picture in our hearts. We talked about that last week. God is trying to let you look into the, the true mirror of who you are. Stop looking into what the world says and stop looking on the wall. This is the mirror. This who this says who you are. And you will find yourself in him, in Christ. All the promises of God, everything that you were created to be is in Christ. And he will paint a new picture in your heart. Then you will begin to speak a new reality in your life. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth does what? It speaks. Our faith moves the hand of God. God's not moved by our whining and crying and belly aching. He's moved by faith. 
It unlocks God's super on our natural. Faith gives wings to our hope. I'm just telling you a few things that I, I recognize faith is doing in my life. Look at your neighbor and say, faith does that? Yes, it does. And today we're going to talk about it's along the journey of faith that we become friends of God. That's beautiful, isn't it? James 2.23 says, and it so it happened, just as the scriptures say, that Abraham believed God, and he was counted, and he kept, God counted him righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. Now, I hear a lot of people say, I'm a friend of God. You know, we throw that term around loosely today. But are you really a friend of God? I mean, don't answer out loud. You know. I know God's friendly to you. We know that much. But are you a, a trusted friend of God? Are you in the inner circle with God? Do you have a place at the table with God? You know, the angel of the Lord came down to Abraham when he was going to look into the wickedness in Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, he's... He heard some bad stuff. He's coming down to check it out. The angel of the Lord, and he brought two angel friends with him. And what does he do? He stops along at Abraham's place. Abraham cooks him a meal, and they fellowship together. And the angel of the Lord, which I believe is a Christophany, a, a pre-incarnate uh, sighting of Jesus. Before he was ever born on the earth, he often appeared in the Old Testament as a human. Uh, whether you believe that or not, you know, you don't have to, but many believe that this... He's talking in the first person for God, so and he's the angel of the Lord. So I, I believe it was Jesus. And uh, so he comes down, he eats a meal with Abraham. He fellowships with Abraham, and he's, he's getting up to go. He, he makes a promise to Abraham. He reminds him that, you know, that your descendants are going to be as like the star. And he said, uh, in fact, this time next year when I come back, Sarah will have that child that you've been waiting on. Abraham's 100 years old. Sarah's 90. They've been waiting on this child since they, they were at the crossroads in Haran back in, when he was 75. For 25 years, he's been waiting for this promise. And, and the angel of the Lord says, it'll happen by this time next year. So Abraham's walking as, as the angel of the Lord and his two fellow angels are walking. And he's just walking along behind. And then in Genesis 18, 17, it says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham? what I am doing. Basically, he says, guys, what do you think? Is Abraham faithful? He, he believes the same way we do, right? He wants the same stuff as we. Why don't we just tell Abraham, see, get his opinion on it? And what did Abraham do? He does what a child of faith would do. He begins to plead for Sodom and Gomorrah. He begins to intercede. Now, if there's righteous people there, Lord, you're not going to destroy the righteous with the wicked, are you? So his heart of faith is a heart of love because faith worketh by love. And he's thinking, you know, he's thinking about the people, the good people there. And he, he's probably thinking, if, how many of you know, we don't want the wicked to perish either. He's saying, he's trying to plead for the city. And they, you, know, you know the story, if you 
he starts with 50 people. If there be 50 righteous, he works down to 45, 40, 30. Can I hear 20, 25? He, he works all the way down to 10. He thinks, surely there's 10 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. He just didn't know how wicked it was down here. But anyway, he had earned a place. He had earned a seat in the angel of the Lord's circle of intercessors. Do you have that kind of relationship with God that God, that you're on the same page with God? You want the same, same things? You know, how can two be agreed unless they walk together? Abraham is walking in God's inner circle. Remember I said that your journey of faith will make you a friend of God? When you walk with God, you become a friend of God, you begin to have more input. And God listens to you like he listened to Abraham. The question I have about this story is, are you willing to put your faith on the line for others? Because that's what, that's what God loves. It's, it's one thing to believe God for your needs and, and that you pray and about your stuff. That's good. But you're taking it to an all new level when you begin to intercede on somebody else's behalf. When your prayer time is no more consumed, I'm, I'm telling you, your problems, the, the, the more you pray for others, the smaller your problems seem to become. Has anybody noticed that? Anyway, a year later, Isaac is born from Sarah. Herself, 90 years old, barren her whole life. Isaac, the, the name means laughter. I mean, it was so ridiculous that they, they named him. We just got to laugh about this. You mean, she's, Sarah actually said, I'm old and dried up, and, and God has given me a child. She just laughed. But what Abraham, it took him 25 years to believe for, had come to pass. Now, you can imagine after that battle to Abraham to get the blessing that he had so deeply desired. Now he's thinking, whew, I'm glad this, you know, I can get off this faith journey for a little while now. I can take it easy. I can retire from faith. You can imagine that would be the, the thought, right? And we see a lot of Christians, you know, they, they believe God until they get prosperous and blessed and get what they want and and they say, well, I'm just going to ease back a little bit now. You know, I'm not going to walk as close as, to God as I used to. In fact, do you know that the average church size, it used to be this way. I, I remember this about 10 years ago. It might be less now probably in America. But the average church size in America is 200 people. Now, that's given, you know, all the mega churches and stuff that's got 15,000 people and then all the smaller churches that, you know, you know, have 50 people or so. But they say the average church size is 200, and then an overwhelming number of churches are around that 200 size. And they believe it is because when you have 200 members, you have enough financial income in your church to get you a little place for yourself. You have enough financial income to, to pay the pastor well and to get a small staff to get you like a, the, the little amenities that you want, get you a little uh, kitchenette or whatever for the church member. You have, where'd that come from? 
Well, that sounded like it was in my pocket. I was like, did I cut mine off? <laughs> but anyway, that's when you get comfortable. And so a church gets 200 people, they get their little spot, and then they say, well, we did it, we're successful, we're not going under. And then they just begin to coast. You know, I didn't see Jesus coasting on the way to Calvary. And I just, I, I, I know that it's significant that you have believed God for where you're at. And that you have done all that you've done and led all these people to the Lord that you have. And, and, and that's wonderful. And I'm not taking anything away from that. But what I am saying is, there's no retirement from your journey of faith. There is a day of rest coming. The Bible tells us that there is a day of rest coming. And some of us are weary. It says, don't be weary in well-doing, right? And you, Because you can get weary in well-doing. We there's seasons of time in our life that, that we're wore out. But don't quit. Don't get off the potter's wheel. Because what did we talk about last week? The same that endures to the end shall be saved. No retirement. Apathy for God's will is not part of the faith journey. And I got good news for you. If you don't quit, the best is always yet to come. Because some of us think, hey, man, I, you know, I've been to the mountaintop, you know. I've, 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 God has brought my desires to pass, and, and I feel like I'm good now, and I can coast. I'm telling you, you ain't there yet. The best is still yet to come in your life. And I can say that confidently, no matter who you are. The best, because I'm going to show you what happened to Abraham next. I'm going to show you how Abraham's 25 years of believing God for Isaac would go from a life-changing faith journey to a world-changing faith journey. One man was able to change the world. Remember what, we, what you said, Jason, how Noah's faith changed the world? Abraham's faith was about to change the world. He didn't quit when he got the initial thing. Do you know that God has more? What does the Bible say? That it's not even entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. So there's more. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 22. That's going to be our text today. Genesis 22. This is the story of what happened after Isaac was born. Now, many scholars think that Isaac may be about 13 years old when this story takes place. In verse 1, it says, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Now Abraham's probably thinking, what, again? 
And he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Now this just sounds like a story in the Bible, unless you put yourself in, in that position. You've raised this child. This is your child you love. The, the child you love, and God even acknowledges. The child that you love. Do you have a child? Imagine God comes down and speaks to you and says, take this child and you're going to sacrifice him to me. After all you've been through. Verse 3, it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. Doesn't say that Abraham says, Wait, wait a minute, God. Are you sure about this? Am I hearing you right? He wasn't questioning, was it God? Why? Because at this point in Abraham's faith journey, he knows the voice of his shepherd. You can get to a place where you know God. Now, I've been, to a, I've been to places where I wasn't sure if it was God's voice or the devil's voice. I had to learn to differentiate because the devil will try to deceive you. And this sounds like something the devil would say, you know. God had never asked for a human sacrifice before. And Abraham could sit here and say, well, I know that's not God. He could have reasoned and he could have, he said, he could have went to his wife and said, what do you think about this? You think we should, what's she going to say? You crazy, Abraham. He could have formed a committee. He could have took uh, votes on it. How many of y'all think? He could have called his circle of friends. He could have gathered a lot of support against this idea real quick. That's why you got to know when God speaks to you, you got to know it's his voice. You got to act on what God says. Abraham got up early the next morning. He did not hesitate. At this part in his faith journey, he's done seen too much. He done gone too far. He's all in. And if God says it, that settles it. He's at the place where God can use him to change the world. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, he split the wood on the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. It says, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. He's had three days of a journey. He got up early in the morning. He walked all day until it was lunchtime. They sat down and cooked their little meal or ate their beef jerky or whatever, biscuits or whatever they had brought with them. And he's sitting there right across from his son Isaac looking at him, knowing the boy don't know where they're going, but knowing he does. He's had three days to change his mind. You can imagine the turmoil within him. As he's on this journey with the son that he loves dearly and he knows where he's going. And Abraham says to the young men, stay here with the donkey. 
the lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. And he says, we. He doesn't say, I will come back. Now, what's he, is Abraham still lying? Is he just throwing out these words casually? Or does he mean what he says? Is that the most incredible faith statement you ever heard in your life? He knows what's about to happen. On that mountain, he's fixing to sacrifice his son. What do you mean, we? We'll come back. Well, if you turn to Hebrews 11, keep your hand in Genesis 22, but turn to Hebrews 11:17. It explains. It says it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Well, we know that. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. You see, Abraham had a promise that through Isaac, that he would become the father of many nations. He didn't understand God's plan. He didn't try to human reason it out. He didn't try to argue about it. He didn't. He just knew God would do what he said. And in verse 19 it says, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. He's got to bring him back to life again because it's through Isaac that my promise will be fulfilled. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I just believe God will raise my son from the dead. You know what faith does? Faith considers God in the equation. If you're at the place where God tells you something impossible and you, and you look at yourself and your means and your ability and you say to yourself, there ain't no way. Well, welcome to the club. That's the way we all look at things, right? But after you've walked by faith, you have developed that faith muscle to the point where you know God is true. You know he cannot tell a lie. You say, I'm not walking by sight anymore. While we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are eternal in the heavens. We know our God is able and we factor in His supernatural ability into everything. We're not afraid because we know if God is for us, who can be against us? If God said it, God, that settles it. And that's the way His faith had come. He's willing to trust God with that that is most important to him. And take God at his word. And it says, and in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead, as you'll see. So back to Genesis 22, 6, it says, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, 
God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. He had just made probably the wonderful, most wonderful faith statements I've ever heard. We will be back, and now he's prophesying. He's prophesying that God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, and we know that he did provide himself a sacrifice. He became the lamb slain before the foundations of the world, the spotless lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. We know that that's what he would do. So the two of them went together, and then they came to the place where God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar. And I think, this boy's 13 years old. And at this point, Abraham must be 113 years old. Do you think Isaac could outrun Abraham possibly? So how's he going to get this young boy on the altar? I'm sure somewhere along the line, Isaac's eyes got wide. Boy, get up over on that pile of wood. What, what, Daddy? The Bible says that God chose Abraham because he would teach his children to follow me. Isaac must have been willing to get up there. It's amazing. Let his dad tie him up on the altar. Now think back. Jesus was willing. In the garden he said, Father, if this cup can be taken from me, if there be any other way, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There's so much faith happening here. So much trust in the Father. How does it all work out? Verse 10, it says, And Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes up and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. A ram with a crown of thorns. So Abraham went back and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And I bet he was wiping his brow. Praise God. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and there behind him, oh, I already said that. So then Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn. Why does he swear by himself? Because he can swear by no greater. 
By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. All of the nations. His blessing went from a personal blessing to a blessing that we, sitting on these purple chairs, are enjoying today as heirs of Abraham's blessing. Heirs of the covenant promise right here. Now what does it mean, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed? Does that mean by Isaac and Jacob who would come after him and the 12 patriarchs and, and the, their children's children? Are we blessed by them? Maybe so. I don't know. That's been a long time ago. But in Galatians 3.16, it explains it. It says, now to Abraham and his seed, and that's capitalized, and to his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, plural, as of many, but of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. You see, it was through this man's faith that God was able to cut a covenant to get his seed into the earth. And Abraham is of the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. You only have to go to the book of Matthew to see that at the beginning of Matthew that through Abraham's seed and through the, the lineage of Isaac and Jacob and so forth all the way down to Joseph who was his stepfather here on the earth. The question I have is what would you have done if you were in Abraham's shoes when God said take your son, your only son? I can tell you that I wouldn't have got up early in the morning probably. I would say, God, I got to pray this and that. You know, I don't, some of you are not even to that point. I mean, it's like, no, I'm not doing that. God has never asked for a, don't, don't worry, God's never asked for a human sacrifice. And I don't believe he ever will. But he was looking for the willingness. He, he's asking for living sacrifices is what he's asking for. Will you live for him, not will you die for him? There may become a, t a, come a time that we may die for him. But first, can we live for him? But we're, we're, we're not, we haven't developed our faith. I don't think many of us in here have probably developed our faith to that point that we would just, no questions, just do what God said on something that major Faith is great when it brings blessing, but what about when it costs you? Will you still trust God when life doesn't make sense? I believe that's a higher form of faith. I think, you know, most everybody, once they get to a point, they can believe God and celebrate for the good things, but when you believe God and it's 24 years later and you're still no son. You're just getting older. You, you, 
you're believing God and now he's asking you to take away something that he's given you. I believe a lot of us are in positions like that right now. You know, judgment begins at the house of God, doesn't it? And I believe we're in the end times. And I believe God is still testing our faith today. And I believe many of us have gone through severe tragedies recently. Or may be about to go through something. Will you be able to stand in the fire? Having no other assurance than to know he's in there with you. Will you be able to stand the test and the trials that are coming? That's a good question, isn't it? Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 10, he said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. We all want that power in our life. We want to see old things come to life. We want to be resurrected from the, the old drug addict that I was into the new man that I can be. We want to see those positive things. We want joy. And it's right that we want those things. It's right that we believe God and pray for good things and blessing in our life. God wants to bless us. But he goes on and he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Whoa, wait a minute. I was really on fire about that first part, but I don't know about the fellowship of his sufferings because we don't like suffering. And being conformed to his death. Abraham's faith journey had prepared him for both. And you better get prepared for both. Because that's how life is. If you're one of those fair weather Christians, there's a, many of them, but they ain't in church anymore. Because they only believed for the good times. And they believed that if anything bad happened, then they didn't have enough faith. No, if anything bad happens, you better have more faith. We don't know why things happen. We may not know everything on this side. We don't know what the future holds, but my brother used to say, I know who holds the future. And that's enough. I believe personally that God does not reveal a lot of things to us because he's, it's a test of our faith. Do we believe in the goodness of his character? Do we believe that in the end all things will work together or working together and all things will be made new? Do we believe that there is a day of rest coming? Through Abraham's faith-chiseled heart, God was able to multiply his blessing to the world because he stood strong in his test. Then the final point we're going to make in this entire series, I'm about to close. A true journey of faith is a deeply personal experience with God himself. Faith is not of the head, it's of the heart. 
Like I said, it works by love. And faith comes by walking with God, talking with God, experiencing good and bad times with God, making mistakes and walking in His mercy, doing good things and seeing His blessing come. It leads you to love and value God Himself more than any of His promises. You're a parent, more than likely, many of you. You're happy that your children are happy you got them a present or toy or something. But don't you want them to appreciate you more than the present? To love you? Isn't that why you bless them? For the relationship's sake? We, my friends should never be considered consumer Christians. You know what I mean? There's such a... It just breaks your heart to think that there's so many people that go to church and think they're doing God a favor just by being there. They don't know Him. They don't consider Him. They're just going through religious motions. Doesn't he deserve so much more than that? I have decided to follow Christ, to take up my cross daily. And Do I do it always? No. Am I weak? Am I human? Am I flesh? Do I whine and cry half the time? Yes. Do I get disgusted with myself? Yes. But do I get back up? Yes. I keep pressing forward towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He is my ultimate desire. I don't do everything right. And it's a full-time job for him just to not let me be overwhelmed by the inadequacy of my own self. Because the closer I get to him, the further I feel away sometimes because of my flesh and the smaller I become but nevertheless it's not I that liveth but Christ that liveth in me and the life that I now lead I live by the presence of God in my heart the love that I have developed for him on my faith journey, and I will get up again. I will rise, and I will not let myself sleep or slumber in the time in which we're living. And I will not grow apathetic to the plight of others, those who have fallen away. I will not grow weary and well-doing. I will not look around at this hurting, confused world walking in sheer darkness and being applauded for their darkness. They're just confused and I will not give up on them. I will lend my prayer as an intercessor on behalf of other people's lives. Yes, you are, buddy. What we are doing here, it may look, it may look messy and nasty and and broken, and they say, well, y'all don't have it together, man. Y'all are, 
But I ain't quitting. It's beautiful in God's eyes. What is happening is beautiful. That the blind are seeing, the lame are walking. Go and tell John the things that you see. This is the real deal. The emotionally scarred and beaten down are finding hope again here. Those who felt like they had nowhere else to go have friends. Those who thought that their life was over, they're just going to wait till till they die, now are finding new purpose. And we are sending missionaries all over the world to bring hope into places where it's only darkness. Raising up pastors and training leaders in Uganda and Pakistan. The things that are happening here are beyond amazing. And I can't adequately express what all is going on behind the scenes. But you are a part. And if we will not grow weary in our well-doing, and not be distracted. And I'm telling you, the devil is throwing everything he has at us right now. Everything. And I don't know the answer. And I'm getting knocked down too. But I'm just asking you to keep getting up because that's what God's faith warriors do. They fight with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. They continue to build and they continue to fight the enemy off. And the joy of the Lord continues to be their strength. And they will build the kingdom of God. Faith warriors learn to, to love God's face more than his hand. You know, I've been so, so blessed in my life. I don't know of anything else I need. things of this world are growing strangely dim. By the time you get to my age, most people in America have had everything. We've done everything. And we realize that is not what fulfills us. It is giving everything that fulfills us. Does the journey you're on have world-changing possibilities? If it's a faith journey, then it does. You don't know what God could do through you. You see yourself so small and insignificant. I don't have any... I don't have any talents. I don't have any money. I don't have any of this, this. And you tell yourself all these things you don't have. But when has God ever needed anything from you but your willingness and faith? You and God can change the world. Stay on the wheel. If you're faithful, your biggest journey Your biggest victories are still ahead.
for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.